Did you ever feel like what you learned in law school didn't prepare you for the world of running a law practice? Law school didn't teach us how to start our practices the right way so that we could scale them into a thriving business. We didn't learn how to make sure that our businesses would meet our financial goals and provide the type of lifestyle we deserve. After 10 years, I was fed up with struggling in my practice and decided to begin a journey to scaling a successful practice that would actually allow me to finally live the life I've always dreamed of. I invite you to listen in on the conversations I'm having with some of the most successful solo and small firm practitioners, along with leading business entrepreneurs, and share how I am implementing what I am learning, all with the goal of helping you take control of your practice and your life. This is The Law Entrepreneur. Hey there, fellow law entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 307 of The Law Entrepreneur. I'm Neil Tyree, your host once again. And today my guest is Wendy Meadows. Now, Wendy is a attorney, a, as I like to call her, a reformed family law litigator. That is to say, she practiced family law for quite some time in a medium-sized law firm before going out on her own and then decided that litigation was something that she needed to move away from. She's still doing family law, but focusing on the non-litigation aspects, such as mediation and, and helping to develop parenting plans and, and the like. At the same time, she's also a fitness and a life coach or a wellness and life coach, and she does that with her clients, a lot of whom are lawyers, mom lawyers, dad lawyers, and she helps move them from difficult positions that they've arrived at as a result of life circumstances and the legal practice and helps get them unstuck and moving forward. So now we're going to talk about how those two things, her life coaching and wellness coaching and her family law practice are integrated together and starting to see some synergy between the two. So really fascinating discussion, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without any further delay, here is Wendy Meadows. Wendy Meadows, welcome to The Law Entrepreneur. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's a delight to have you here with us today, Wendy. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are today. Sure. Well, I used to call myself a family law attorney. Things have changed a little bit, but I've been practicing law since 2005. And my law office is located in Phoenix, Maryland, as opposed to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, which is in northern Baltimore County. I started off in a small firm from 2005 until 2018. I left there. I was the managing partner there for several years. I left in 2018 to go solo and open up my own family law practice up here, like I said, in Phoenix, Maryland. And in the last year or two, I have really radically changed my practice. So as opposed to being a family law attorney that does everything, I've turned off the spigot of litigation and my practice my practice focuses on mediation, parent coordination, and I am now wearing a new hat where I'm a life coach to other lawyers. Well, outstanding. I mean, another <laughs> another reformed litigator. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. We, we, we parallel paths in that regard. You know, it's kind of funny because when I was doing personal injury work, we worked with a couple of firms that would work a case up until it came time to go to litigation. And if the case didn't settle and had to go into litigation, they turned it over to another firm. And then we had a fee splitting arrangement. 
you don't see that very much in the family law arena, do you? You don't. You don't. I don't think I've ever really seen that. I think it's a model, That's, frankly, mm -hmm. that could work if somebody would, you know, if somebody was really hot to trot to, you know, take matters into court. There are plenty of family law attorneys like yourself and myself mm -hmm. that are comfortable trying to help couples work through issues and, and resolve problems and mediate disputes. But that's where we want it to end because, like me, I, I didn't want to be tied to the courthouse anymore. Correct. You know what? I think another beautiful thing about that would be I find in family law, our cases, especially with COVID now, our cases tend to last three years. I have one Forever. case going on four years. We're finally going to finish it. Actually, we're not even going to finish in May. So the case by the end will be a five-year-long case, which is bonkers. So I wonder if there's some beauty in what you're saying, because when you have a second set of eyes, you know, and a second heart and a second sort of oomph, someone to carry to the end, that actually I think might even work better for the client. Well, to some extent, we have that model available to the clients through the collaborative process, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. where the attorneys agree that if the, can't, if the matter can't be resolved and has to go to litigation, that they are not going to be the ones to do that and therefore turn, turn it over to a litigating attorney or firm. And, but short of the collaborative process, which has its own kind of features, put it that way, that make it successful or in, in many cases. I think just a straight up, hey, um, I'm really willing to do the front end work, help you try and resolve this. But if we get to the point of litigation, I'll turn it over to a friend of mine or, right. you know, we find another attorney. I think, I think there's room for both. I agree. And that's how I'm trying. That's how I talk to clients now, yeah. where before I would have everybody come in for a consult before I would even speak to somebody on the phone. I'm like, no way, right. like you have to come in for the hour consult. And I've done things much differently over the course of the last 18 months. I say, well, before you even come in for a consult, let, let's hop on the phone for five to 10 minutes so I can get a flavor of the case. Mm -hmm. And in that five to 10 minutes, I can get a pretty strong idea whether yeah. it's a case for me or not a case for me. Right. And what I try really hard to do, if it's not a case for me, get that person into the hands of someone who I know is a good, like heart-centered litigator yep. <laughs> who will do a good job, not take all of their money. You know, like I, I almost like I'm like the family law concierge that way. I'm like, okay, like th this might be a good fit for you. I find out who's on the other side and get them set up. But if I do feel like it is a good fit for me, you know, I have them come in, I do the consult and they know that I am not litigation first. And they know that I won't do litigation anymore. And I've had a conversation like, look, if we can't settle this, I will have to refer you out. And where I was really afraid that would turn clients off and they wouldn't want to hire me and they wouldn't even want to try, they actually really like it. That makes, I think that gives them a source of comfort to know that I'm trying really hard to keep their case out of court. Yeah. And save them money. Yep. Yeah, uh, I find that they always like to <laughs> that <laughs> aspect of it. Anything I can do to, save you money is some is falls on very willing ears so to speak correct at least in the beginning they like that in the beginning yeah and you know i don't know again we're kind of off in the beat track here but it's just you and me there's nobody else listening to us here uh, that <laughs> at least for me I, I always felt in family law that some of my best work was mediating a settlement not necessarily 
litigating one. I always felt after litigating one, I, and I would tell my, my clients that litigation is a, is a Latin word for everybody loses a little. Yep. Correct. You know, which isn't a literal <laughs> translation, but it made the point. And I always felt that my best work was, was helping people mediate a case and, and come to the conclusion that they're settling their own affairs. Yeah. I'd say mine's similar. My outlook has been, especially over the course of the last five to six years, the best work I can do in a case is really listening to my client and seeing them have their own transformation through the divorce process. So they actually come out of the divorce process stronger, better, healed, like more pos positive outlook on life. Like that that's my sweet spot. Yeah. And that's what I really enjoy seeing. Just having this person come to me, like they never asked for this, they didn't want this, but then come out of it, almost go through this metamorphosis and come out better, better than they ever even imagined that it would be. So that's that's my favorite part of what I get to do. Now, did some of the impetus for transitioning to this new kind of model, was some of that dictated by the change in the law here in Maryland, adding the the parent coordination plan, I forget what it's technically called these days. Oh yeah, parent. No, like for me, my transition came from, I had several really high conflict litigation cases okay. that I was beating my head against the wall because the easy answer was like right there, <laughs> but we couldn't get to it for a variety of reasons, either because maybe some, maybe there were some personality disorders, you know, amok. Right. Maybe there were, unfortunately, in some, I think the attorneys were trying to drive up the the mess in order to have a higher bill because they I, saw that, you know. Or, or making like, it more about them than the client. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Often, often. That's yeah. why when I do mediation, I really like mediating with just the parties and not parties and counsel. Right. Because then, you know, dealing with, and because the lawyers have the biggest ego in the room, you know, because and they care more about some issues than their clients. So that's. In mediation, I love just the parties. No, but the, the big thing for me was I became a health and wellness coach about six years ago. And when that happened, I began every day at six, you know, five and six in the morning talking with my health and wellness clients who happened to be a lot of lawyers, a lot of lawyer moms. But I started my day with this aspirational, inspirational, happy language, right? right. And I would start ha hanging around with all, all these other people who are like happy and inspirational and sparkly for lack of a better word. And I would start to infuse my language with my clients with that sort of language. And I saw new things happening that were really beautiful. And then in the litigation context, I saw awful things happening that were awful. And I was like, oh, how can we make it more the happy, sparkly way? And I can do it the happy, sparkly way with getting people to resolution, just saying no more to litigation and just taking that out of taking that out of my arsenal, so to speak. Well, I can see where that would create a conflict in your existence, when you're starting off with health and wellness and you're finishing the day with something decidedly less healthy and less well yeah. from, from your personal perspective. It had to be a conflict for you. It was, and it was painful, right? It's painful to watch. And like you said, I'm, I also really pride myself on efficiency and when I see these cases where it's like motion upon motion upon motion, I'm like, in a, in, a, in a custody case, and there's like 10 motions filed in one day in one particular case, I'm like, this has nothing to do with the children. This doesn't, you know, and it, the inefficiency in terms of the emotion, you know, the emotional 
drain on the parties and then the financial drain on the parties. I just, I didn't want to be a part of that system anymore. I couldn't stomach it as a person. Well, thankfully there are people who do thrive in that environment and can provide those services to those who need it because the, the need is not going to go away. I think we know that it's just a matter of matching up your skill set and your, you know, lifestyle ambitions with what you are offering to your potential clients. So along those lines, it had to kind of shift the marketing approach for your, for your firm to some degree. Am I right? When you transition, did you have to start marketing the firm or branding the firm any differently? Well, and my way of marketing has always been very, I guess you would call it kind of grassroots. You know, I have not invested in marketing outside of having, you know, I do have my super lawyers profile. I paid for like a slightly, not the top tier one, but like the second tier one. So, you know, they can mm-hmm. contact me. And, and in my language, when I do po- make, make a Facebook post or something like that, I talk about, you know, I'm a mediation firm, but it's more so like the way I market is more just putting it out there to people. So like when I'm on the phone with anybody, you know, with any of my attorney friends or a colleague, or we're talking about, you know, a family law issue, I say, Hey, remember, you know, I'm really trying to shift my practice to mediation only. If you can think of me to be your mediator, I would really appreciate that. And I have said that as many times as I possibly can over the course of the last probably three to four years. So people remember me because sometimes people just don't, they don't, no one knows what kind of cases you want unless you ask for them, right? Well, that's so, the key part of marketing is is being top of mind so that when people say, oh, I do, I, I need a, a mediator for this case, the immediate thought is, I know a mediator, Wendy Meadows. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you went into solo practice. Describe what your solo environment was when you were litigating as opposed to what it is now, did you add staff, change staff, delete staff? Did you add technology, delete technology? What physically or personnel wise, did anything change? That's a good question. I have to think about that for a moment. Well, I'll start when I first went off on my own as a solo, we're all so nervous and scared, right? Right. Like, Oh, I can't possibly like afford to like hire somebody. Well, within the first three weeks, I realized that was a really dumb, <laughs> dumb thing to say. <laughs> you know? So I, I hired somebody pretty quickly and I taught her and she she came to me with no legal experience. But a lot of what we do in family law, it's not rocket science. You know, it's being having good organizational skills, being able to you know scan documents, organize them and support me where I need it. And. I would say my biggest difference between is a so so and then I I hired her pretty quickly and she did lots of paralegal things, legal assistant type things. Sure. The biggest change is I just need her less hours of the week now. So okay. where she started working, you know, 20 to, and I I knew I wanted someone part-time. So 20 to 30 hours per week, she is now reduced to maybe 10 hours a week or so. That that's the biggest difference there. Yeah, because certainly, you know, the litigation process does put an awful lot of administrative strain on a law firm because there's a lot of the pleadings and discovery and all of that stuff that if you're not doing that, you don't need somebody to help you with it. Exactly. So right. So she's yeah. she just it's really just she works less now. So I have I have less things I need her to do. So that coupled with 
maybe the pandemic, did you make any changes to your office environment, the way you do business? Did you start working more from home? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, we both, you know, when pre-pandemic, we both, me and my assistant, we both saw each other daily. You know, we'd both be in the office daily and she probably worked about nine to 11, nine to 12, Monday to Friday. And I was extremely flexible with her, you know, with regard to kids, et cetera, doctor's appointments, what have you. Then the pandemic happened. And at first we would just sort of email and it, it, it was, and I totally trusted her to keep track for hours, but she does. I trust this woman implicitly, but we didn't really have a rhyme or reason schedule. And I, that she was really struggling with that. And that was on me, you know, cause I sort of worked, I think during 2020 all the time, but she wasn't really aware of when she was supposed to work. So then the two of us had a discussion and we figured out, okay, we know that she will be on the computer every day, same as before, between nine and 12. And if I need to get her something done, I need to make sure I'm asking her to do something between nine and 12. You know, if I email her something at three, she's not going to get it to nine the next day. Sure. So my practice pointer there is having a good, strong conversation about expectations. So she would know, pretend I emailed her at six in the morning, as I'm prone to do. I had to remind her, look, if I'm emailing you at six in the morning, in no way am I expecting you a response at like 6.05, but I'm not expecting a response until your window of time and to have her get comfortable with that. Like if I email her late or early, that's just because that's when I'm thinking about it, but it doesn't mean that I expect a response from her, but I had to drill that into her because I don't think, you know, I don't think she believed me necessarily right. at first. Right. And then post pandemic, we're in a situation now where she did obtain another job in order to fulfill her life dreams because she sees me doing my life dreams as a life coach and you know providing these services and really following my heart so she took on some more work for another organ not a legal organization whatsoever just something that was more heart-centered for her and now we're in this new place where we're trying to navigate navigate things again so what i would recommend there is for somebody else if you're in that same position having really strong expectations again of each other when your assistant will be on the computer so you know when you can email with her and also FaceTime. And that's what I'm really, I know that's something we are lacking right now, which is we don't have enough FaceTime. So I'm at in fact, and we, and again, we've had very honest, open communication discussions about this. Like I'm looking for a new person to be in with me because as much as we, it worked kind of during the pandemic, it's not working anymore. I don't need her. I don't need someone five days a week, but I need to have FaceTime with somebody at least once a week sure. um, with regard to, you know, passing the baton and that sort of thing. Today's episode of The Law Entrepreneur is brought to you in part by my friend, Coach Mark Brockwell. Now, if that name sounds familiar, you might remember hearing him as our guest on episode 277 of The Law Entrepreneur. And during that episode, we talked about a lot of different things. And one of the is the fact that, did you know that only 12% of the law schools provide instruction on how to operate a law firm? 12%. That's one of the reasons managing a firm is difficult for most attorneys, particularly if they have no prior business education or experience. Wouldn't it be great if someone could guide you and save you the time and money figuring out how to grow and manage a profitable firm? Well, I highly recommend you visit with my friend, Coach Mark Rockwell. Mark helps individual attorneys, as well as law firm leadership teams, implement the structure and processes they need to grow and operate profitably. As a lawyer and a businessman, 
Mark knows firsthand what it's like to face the challenges of growing a profitable firm. Mark can help you do the same. Go to his website, coachrockwell.com, and download the Law Firm Checkup. That's Law Firm Checkup, which Mark will review with you at no cost. You'll get great insights on how to build a healthy, thriving law firm. You can call Mark directly at 503-784-7205 or visit his website at coachrockwell.com. That's coachrockwell.com. And my thanks to him personally for sponsoring today's episode. If you've been a listener of this podcast for any time, you know that I sing the praises of Ruby all the time because they're really responsible in my own practice for helping me grow my business, deliver personalized experience to my clients, you know, building customer loyalty, really, in terms of having a consistent front-facing office partner in Ruby, and allows me to stay connected anywhere, anytime to my business through their services. So I can't say enough about Ruby. I'm delighted to have them and continue to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. I'll tell you one of the things that I've been doing lately, because I just brought on a full-time virtual assistant. So the distance, it creates its own challenges. So we we have a Zoom call every morning at 9 a.m. So we get on the Zoom calls, we get that FaceTime, we share screens back and forth to show what we're doing, you know, training aspects and, and teaching opportunities. And then the Slack channel is the way we communicate primarily. And so the Slack channel is open when she's working from nine to six. So I can, I can, I can write to it before nine and after six, but I'm not expecting her to respond to it. And I think it's kind of the same scenario, same type setup as, as you've landed on. Yeah. And that's what, unfortunately for the two of us, like the other job she took, I don't get the benefit of her having her during normal working hours. Right. And we thought we could make it work. And it, it's working enough. I'll say it's working enough. And I, because I trust her so much, it's so hard but, for me to even put out, you know. But it sounds like you're trying to shoehorn it in, in, I am. in and make it work. So, well, let's I go am. on to something else then, because that yep, sounds yep, like yep. a challenge <laughs> that's ongoing. And you're going to kind of work through that and see where you come out on the other side. I'm interested to to learn a little bit about your life coaching, what draw drew you to that and how that manifests itself in terms of the certification and what kind of clients you work with. And if there's a carryover to your law practice or an interaction with your law practice. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a great question. I want to figure out where, how, where to start answering that one. I'll start the with beginning? the easy, <laughs> the beginning. All right, the, the beginning. beginning. What drew you to life coaching? <laughs> sure. So, like I said, I became a health and wellness coach accidentally five to six years ago, and I noticed that through I, I noticed that was my sweet spot uh, was counseling people, not like in counseling just one person, not counseling one person, and then worrying about how the other person and the other counsel and it would respond in, in this litigation context. Mm-hmm. I realized. Over the with my family law clients and with the health and wellness people I coached, I had a knack for getting people unstuck. So if someone was really stuck and they couldn't figure out their way out and they didn't know what to do with themselves, I was able to talk with them, counsel them, and get them unstuck and into movement. And then their life changed, and their life changed for the better. And I would see it 
countless times, like a woman's face when she came to me, downtrodden, unhappy, feeling icky in her skin. And then after working together, and it wasn't even just health and wellness, it was all this other stuff too. I saw a transformation. I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if this were a job? Yeah. Well, tell me like some, some of the challenges that the clients were facing. Are we talking about medical health challenges, physical health challenges, desire to look better, to feel better, to exercise more, or all of the above? All of the above, but it was something even more than that. Okay. At, at the root of it, it was, and it's, I can say this because, of course, the first person, you know, my first client was me, right? We get to this point, I feel like as moms, where we forget who we are. Like we, you know, we yeah. spend all this time, and I'll, and I'll speak from, you know, a fellow law mom perspective. We spend all this time, you know, was, we were probably really hard workers in high school. We did everything we were told. Then we go to college, and again, we're, we want to do really well in college on the LSAT so we can get into a good law school. And then you go to law school, and you know your, your listeners know the drill. And then we get out of law school, and then you know we're trying to find who we want to settle down with, and then we're worried about having kids, and then we have the kids. And then once my law mom's kids are about, once they become a little bit more self-sufficient, your brain starts saying, well, wait a second, I did all these things I was supposed to, but I forget who I am. Like, do I know who I am? Do I like who I am? And usually when these women come to me, it's there's so much negative self-talk and so much little belief about themselves and who they are as a person. And so many women say, do I, why did I even become a lawyer? I don't even like this. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I expected. And they're just feeling morose and they usually don't even know why they're feeling morose. It's just how they're feeling and they but want to stuck. feel alive again. They're but stuck. they're stuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will tell so, you, I've had lots of women on the program here who had that same journey and had that same concern. I think, and I've said many times, I don't know how the lawyer moms do it because I know being a mom is a full time and then some effort. You add on to that, the other layers of being partner in a home and also layering on work responsibilities. And it's no wonder you all are stuck in that negative spot because it, mm -hmm. it is tremendously difficult. I'm very sympathetic of that position. Yeah. Stuck and exhausted. And exhausted. <laughs> yeah. And exhausted. Yeah. I had one, one, and now this happened to be a friend of mine said to me, I didn't go to law school just to learn how to put cereal on the table. <laughs> right. You know, right. And, and it was a, it was an appropriate visual and, and she was, she was struggling with that. So how do you go about helping them get unstuck? What are some of the tools and resources that you call upon to help move people forward? Mm -hmm. So when someone signs up with me, they typically sign up for, you know, a three month program. And in that three month program, we do 10 one on one sessions and I really get to know my client. So a lot of it is really, really listening, being really in tune to figuring out and listening to her and figuring out, oh, aha, like this is what's going on here and being able to reframe what's going on here. So they actually know what's going on as well. So that the first call we have is about goal setting where they want to be, meet where they want to be 
me getting to know them and me starting to subtly, slowly shift their mindset. Because often the way these women talk about themselves is a way that you would never talk about even your enemy. But this is how these women talk mm-hmm. about themselves. So I can see clearly how amazing they are and all the wonderful things they have done and how much they accomplish. And I know firsthand how hard that is. And that first session is important for them, I think, to realize and for me and someone else to point out who doesn't really know them, what a great job they're doing and give them that gold star that no one else is going to give them and start having them think differently about themselves and realize, you know, they're not a failure. They're in the same boat as many other accomplished women and to start speaking kindly to themselves and to start figuring out, well, where are they stuck and where where do they want to be? Like, who's that person they wanted it to be when they decided to sign up and go to law school in the first place? So that's one of our, all of our sessions have part of that, but the first sessions please are focused on that. And then the other two things we work on themes where I can best help is the places I know I'm really good at. So one of those is self-care and one of those is time management. So with regard to self-care, you know, each law mom or any client will come to me with a different version of like where they are. Like some people might have no self-care. Some people might excel at it, but they're missing some area. So I figure out what they're doing for self. And I don't just mean bubble baths. I hate bubble baths as a form of self-care because I would never <laughs> do that as a way. Like that just sounds awful to me. Like I hate the bath. Like I, I can be in there for like three minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like this is, this is awful. But so like, you know, really figuring out what works for that person and making sure they do it and finding time in their day to take care of themselves. If they don't take care of themselves, how can they take care of anybody else? And then the other piece is time management. Almost every client I have really struggles with time management. And that means in terms of you know making sure they're billing enough hours, making sure they're running their practice effectively, making sure that you know they're actually getting the help around the house that they're supposed to. Like for I talked to this one law mom a while back, and she was so frustrated because she felt like her house was always a mess. And she also felt like her kids were running amok and they had no discipline and they had no structure. And she was like going on and on, and it was this big frenzy. I'm like, well, wait a second, how old are your kids? And I think they were. I think they're my kids' ages. So like 10 and 8, maybe they were 10 and 12. And I said, well, if we need to give your kids structure, and if we want the house to be vacuumed more regularly and the dishes to be flipped more regularly, why aren't we giving the kids these chores? Like, why why can't they be helping you? Like, let's have a chore chart. Let's have the kids know what their expectations are. And that takes literally the work off your plate and you're getting what you want. Like, oh, I never thought about it that way. It's like, okay, let's do it. And as far as I know, it's still happening and it's still working and it's really working effectively for her. So it's just having an outside person look in and help figure out, you know, where we can make things a little bit better. Time management, you, you mentioned is kind mm-hmm. of your secret sauce. Do you have any like mm-hmm. special tools with respect to time management? Are you a big calendaring person or are you a big journaling person or do you have some tools? All of, it. Like, all of the above. Okay. <laughs> all of the above. But I also put blinders on to the stuff I know I, I'm not good at, right? So for time management, my, my secret, I have several secret powers. But number one is never to look at work email from your bed when you wake up in the morning. Never, ever do that. That is just how about the middle of the night at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning? No, no, no. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm well, also asleep. No. I'm guilty <laughs> I'm of that. I'm a sleep ninja as well. So like anything that disrupts sleep, I am, you know, I throw that away. I have very strict rules for myself with regard to email and I I help clients develop their own, you know, everyone's going to be different. Sure. 
The other secret sauce is I really love the journal called the five minute journal. Have you heard of that one before? I actually have one sitting on the counter right over there. Yes. It's I unopened. love that thing. It's unopened, but it's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because, you know, it's like, what are three things to make today great? Right. I love that prompt. I'm like, okay, three things. And so I, I use that to kind of keep myself rem to remembering myself, remind myself what I want to do in a particular day. Uh -huh. And with regard to other time management skills, to know what are the three, when I walk into work or and I start the day, more often than not, I'm like, okay, what are the three things that I need to get done today? And I just, I make sure those get done before I get, you know, sucked into like checking my email inbox and letting that rule my and day. all the other things. Yeah. I gather from the conversation that a fair number of your clients are lawyer moms. So is that the predominant set or... And, and, do you have you branched out from the legal community and started getting clients in your health and wellness life coaching venture outside of the, the legal space? Yeah, I would say like my marketing is geared towards lawyer moms because that's who I know really well and I and right. I understand them really well. But I, I, I do have <laughs> I are one as somebody was said. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have some lawyer dads as well. You mm -hmm. know, I think the skill sets that people get excited about when they work with me is that I'm a lawyer, so I understand it. I understand what billable time is. I understand what escrow accounts are. I understand mm -hmm. the, you know, I've been a managing partner of a small firm. I opened up shop on my own. Like those are things I really, really understand well. So where I'm branching out and where I'm considering branching out actually as we speak um, I was talking with someone the other day who is not a lawyer, but she really was drawn to me because of my experience in you know the divorce world. And she is really curious about working with me as a divorce coach. So even though she's not a lawyer, but she appreciates the value of coaching. She's like, you know, I really think if I go through this divorce, I would value having a divorce coach and offer legal advice, mm -hmm. but to keep her to keep her on task and someone to really listen to her and figure out, you know, how she can best be supported going through that process. So I'm playing with that a little bit and how I offer that to potential clients. Another place I'm branching out is more doing like law firm consulting. Okay. And which is really fun. <laughs> I really, really love that a lot. And it's essentially there where a managing, pretend managing partner, or main partner, they see an associate really struggling and the associate isn't billing the hours they're supposed to bill. They're not being responsive to client emails. Their work might be sloppy, you know, all, all sorts of. And they don't have time to correct the problem. So they bring somebody in like yourself, right? Right. Exactly. Or they've tried and it, it didn't work. Okay. Yeah. That, I, right. I think that's an area that's ripe for, ex, not exploitation, but ripe for business. Because I think there's a lot of people in, stuck in that spot. And so you can help get right. them unstuck from that. Right. Yeah. And that's some really fun work. I really love that work because I get to put on my hat as, you know, I used to be a managing partner. So I get to put on that hat and I, and I don't blow, like I do two things with these clients and I don't blow smoke up their butt. Right. I don't tell them like, oh yeah, it's fine. Everything you're doing is fine. And just like encourage them to keep, you know, staying in their bad negative behaviors. I say, look, like your boss thinks really highly of you. Of course they do. They have hired me to coach you. Like this is a huge gift and you should be really excited that your boss wants this for you. But we have some work to do and, you know, let's yeah. do it and let's, you know, help you help the firm and it only is going to be good for everybody. And I, I suspect there's also an equal amount of coaching that you're offering to the boss. 
for the supervisor to how to how to get the most out of this employee. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right there. Yeah, I think you're right there. Well, listen, Wendy, this is fascinating. It sounds like uh, you really hit this comfortable spot in your life, and it's really kind of coming together in the right way. I think it's a tremendous service that you're offering to your peers and and fellow attorneys and other you know health and wellness advocates kind of merging this these two worlds tell our audience how they can reach out to you and follow up with anything you've had to offer today yeah that'd be fantastic probably the easiest is to email me wendy at wendysmeadows.com wendysmeadows.com we'll have all of that in the show notes and that's the best way are you also present in some of the other social media platforms I am. I am. I'm on Instagram, as I believe, Wendy underscore S underscore Meadows. Okay. And I'm on Facebook as Wendy Stair Meadows. Perfect. All right. Well, Wendy, thanks again for taking the time to be with me today. And I do appreciate you being a guest here today on The Law Entrepreneur. Thank you so much. Well, how about that? That's a wrap for this episode of The Law Entrepreneur. I'd like to thank our sponsors once again. As usual, Daylight by Market Circle, Spotlight Branding, Ruby, as in Ruby Receptionist, and our newest sponsor, Security Plus. If you have a chance, swing on by our website at www.lawentrepreneur.com. You can check out a bunch of information and resources there. And if that doesn't satisfy your needs, swing on by our Facebook page or Twitter page. You can find those just by simply searching for The Law Entrepreneur. And if you'd be so kind, I would greatly appreciate it if you go to your podcast application and leave us a rating and an honest review. If you find this podcast is helpful and that you're getting value out of it, it does help with our visibility and ensures that we're going to be there for another five years or so as this has been quite the run. And I'm greatly appreciative of your interest in the law entrepreneur.